The code is more what you call guidelines than actual rules. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, a daily podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films, one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis. And I'm Heather Artis. Well, it's great to be rounding out our first full week of five episodes. I'm definitely excited this week is wrapping up as we will finally be on a set schedule with new episodes being available early in the day starting Monday. Hopefully when the clock strikes midnight, actually. So please subscribe and the episodes will automatically pop up and you won't miss anything. It's definitely been a roller coaster, or should I say water ride in the Pirates of the Caribbean Disneyland adventure. But now that our schedule will be in place and enforced, we'll be able to devote some time to having Pirates of the Caribbean fun on Twitter and Facebook and engaging with other film fans and all that good stuff. So we have a fun new giveaway idea to explore. Not sure when we're really going to want to do that, but some incentives to spread the word about our new show so if you like what you're hearing give us a shout out and review and stay tuned as we make some announcements in the next maybe few weeks or so as we get up and running to see what we actually want to do and when we're going to do that so maybe i shouldn't have even mentioned at this stage because i'm not really giving you any details so that was a pretty poor teaser anyways so let's just get going and and pretend that never happened (laughs) In the previous episode, we were catapulted from the HMS Dauntless to Elizabeth's bedroom as she wakes from a dream detailing the events of her past eight years ago. Minute seven begins as Elizabeth finishes taking the dress from the box and says, May I inquire as to the occasion? And the minute ends with the visitor to the Swan residence accidentally breaking off a piece of the wall sconce in the foyer while waiting for Governor Swan. Now that is one uncomfortable, potentially embarrassing end to minute seven. Oh, that it is. We are knee-deep in symbolism in this minute, aren't we? That we are. The first thing that strikes me is the corset. We have Elizabeth Swan. She takes out the dress, and she's going to put it on immediately. And then you have these two maids that are just cinching and tugging, basically constricting Elizabeth's breathing. You know, it's, it's this whole kind of the cartoon kind of aspect of things, almost where you got like the foot and the elbows and everything into it, and you're just really pulling and tugging and... The person being tortured inside this thing is sitting there wincing and trying to have a conversation with her father. And it is during this moment that her father says that he hopes that she will attend Norrington's promotion ceremony and gets into how Norrington fancies her. So there's definitely some setup going on here or maybe some wishful thinking on the part of Governor Swan, you know, getting his daughter involved with Norrington. So... As far as kind of these symbols here that I'm seeing, is it, you know, she's obviously trying to set them up. It comes back to things that we've talked about in the past minutes of this whole high society. There's not much options maybe for her. There's, it's a lot of regimented stuff, a lot of proprieties that she has to abide by. And the father is saying, hey, I would really like you to attend and maybe take a fancy to Norrington there. And she really has is wearing this pirate medallion so it's that freedom that she really longs for and the father is cinching and restricting her breathing it's restricting her movements society is and saying hey i know that's what you want to do but this is your place and i'm just going to tug these strings and you're not going to be able to breathe it's an interesting interesting take on the minute actually yeah so all you know although she's wearing this 
corset, she's also wearing the pirate medallion. You know, so it's this battle royale, as I like to say, is taking place. You know, will she succumb to the proprieties of high society? Will she choose her own adventure in this pirate world? Really, the idea is how is she going to make her own destiny? Is she going to follow what society prescribes that she is supposed to do? Or is she going to move forward with what she really wants to do, which ironically has to deal with skulls and crossbones and Aztec gold? Seems to me I would rather have Aztec gold and skull and crossbones and wear a corset. Yeah, that corset seemed pretty uncomfortable. (laughs) Really uncomfortable. So yeah, I, I just see it as the corset and the dress are just masking who she really is. And the dress means playing the part. You know, the, the dress yeah. is on the outside, the court, although the corset's on kind of the inside, if you will. But the, the dress and the corset in her attire is, is this facade and everything that's on the outside. And what's on the inside next to her heart is the gold medallion with the pirate skull on it, which she believes is a pirate symbol. That's a pretty interesting take, and we'll have to... We don't know much about her quite yet, except for her childhood. You know, we're just getting into seeing her for two minutes now. (laughs) So we'll have to see what comes about the way she is and how she feels about things. Yeah, as they get into some character development, we'll really see where her true feelings lie. But you can just tell by the way that she responds to her father... She already knows offhand that something is up, that she's getting this dress. Yeah. So I don't know how many times he's given her dresses before. So she has some kind of inclination like, okay, why is he doing this? But she gets this fancy dress. He says it's the latest fashion from London. She's like, okay, what is the real scoop going on here? And that's when she kind of quizzes him about it and finds out, yeah, I want you to go to Norrington's promotion ceremony and not just necessarily be the face of his daughter, but because he, he does throw in that Norrington fancies her. And so that is moving beyond like, hey, we're going as a family to represent stuff, but I want you there to potentially talk with Norrington and, and maybe some sparks will fly. So she's really just bogged down by everything and her breathing's being restricted. So this is definitely the big symbol, I think, here of maybe some stuff to come that we're going to see with Elizabeth. Is she going to follow her true passion and and her heart's desire? Or is she going to just decide, I'm going to listen to my father and what this is what society expects of me? Yeah. And it's interesting because I think this is some stuff that's actually happening Today, it's probably happened with all generations, is that you have parents and kids that are kind of struggling. This is where I we want what we want you to do. And the kids are always saying, no, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And there's some realities that play into that. You know, the parents all maybe come at it at different angles and some right and maybe some not so right. It depends, I guess, on your point of view. But they're saying, hey... Yeah, but you're not going to be able to make any money at that. You know, there's all these classic examples that we see in films all the time or TV shows. You know, how are you going to ever make money at that? And then there's terms like starving artist and and these things for a reason. So there's these interplays that happen all the time. And I think this is just one variation of it that's a bit more of the time period. We don't have the rebelling or wanting to do that. This is a pirate story. And now it's intertwining pirates into this whole idea of... Uh, you know, choosing your own adventure in life and, and not necessarily making it. It's the idea that you don't want to make somebody else happy. You're not doing it to make somebody else happy. You should do something to make yourself happy. Right. So that's where I think she's going with that. Yeah. So I had some, I found some interesting facts on women's clothing back in the 18th century. All right. Excellent. So um, they actually, you can see they're putting the corset over 
what's called a shif or a smock. Okay. And that was used to protect the actual clothing, the dresses and stuff, because you didn't take daily baths or showers then. <laughs> and so this kind of protected the clothing from the, all the body oils and everything. That's a lovely thought, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, how many minutes are we into this already? And Heather has now taken this back to the realities, the grim realities of the 1700s and personal hygiene. <laughs> yeah. I was actually thinking when I was watching this minute, I was going... Oh, she didn't shower. <laughs> well, there is some stuff that they have to do with the whole filmmaking. They can't show us like the actual daily life. But yeah. I mean, there could have been some insinuation that she had taken a bath or had showered, maybe, I guess is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. You know, her hair was a little wet or something. And I also wanted to mention about the what's called a stay or a corset, which is actually the heavily reinforced with whalebone which helps to mold the torso to the fashion and shape of those days they liked a little skinny waist and so they um, would do that they would have whalebone in there to kind of hold you in place you know and keep you they would use it also to help with the posture so So it's the the spanks of the day the 1700s (laughs) so also the my main takeaway from what you just said is that women are responsible for whales being endangered yeah and hunting a whale so like we already knew women were responsible (laughs) for killing whales it all comes back to fashion and and wanting to to look good so now they they have now well, destroyed whale populations. Actually, I don't know who designed the actual corset. It was probably we a man. No, we can't go back on that. We already established that women are now responsible for that. So poor whales out there, you guys have just killed whales. I Pirates of the Caribbean gonna, Minute cannot gonna, endorse the killing of whales for women's fashion. I'm going to have to look into this and find out who actually designed There's no need the to look into it. We already know what happened. It's already been stated here as fact. No, no, no. I don't know. We're going to have to look With into you it. arguing that, it just tells me that you personally are probably responsible yourself for the entire population of whales and their demise no, in the 1700s. not me. There's no possible way. <laughs> anything else on corsets you want to tell us or or now are you frightened uh, to go into the corset yeah. details actually um it was known that if you did not wear your corset that you were considered not properly dressed or a loose woman well there's two things right there that i guess i am <laughs> Since I don't, I don't wear my corset. <laughs> well, not every day, anyways. It's just on those days you want to look nice and skinny. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so I guess if we're gonna, so I guess if we're gonna wrap that part up with the corset talk, and and now that we've uh, figured out why whales are are endangered yeah. to this day, uh, the other big symbol that I had was the visitor. You know, we have this young man who is waiting in the foyer for Governor Swan to come down. He has a kind of a long package in his arm, and that's not a euphemism or anything like that. It's actually he's got this long kind of package that's tucked away that's ready to be presented, I'm assuming, to Governor Swan. Yes? Before you go there, I have one more thing. Oh, you know, she always does this. She pauses and says... Okay, it's like we're going to move on along, and then I start to move it along, and then it's like, oh, no, wait, can we, just one more thing. You know who she is? She's Columbo. You're all finished. You think you're done, and you're off the hook, and it's just like, 
oh wait, there's one more thing. And then you know that you're just going to be caught and you're crucified with the, the murder. I don't mind so go that. For I like it. Columbo. Yeah, Columbo's awesome. If, <laughs> if anybody out there hasn't watched Columbo, you got to watch Columbo. Peter Falk is awesome. So when the maids were dressing her, they had to have noticed the medallion on her. Yeah. Don't, why was it, do you think it was okay to show the, the, that the maids seen it, but no one else? I mean, wouldn't you think that the maids would go tell their friends or whatever? Uh, it's possible, but I think she's maybe, they're handmaidens, maybe, you know, more kind of confidants too. So they're with her a lot. They're not necessarily part of that upper echelon or they're not part of that upper echelon. And I think that they're, they can be on friendly terms with, with, you know, Elizabeth. And so that's probably part of that is maybe it's just part of that confidence or confidant being that confidant and sharing that secret. I, Cause I got to imagine you're right that they did see it mm-hmm. and you know, it's just maybe it's just not a big deal for them. Maybe they all have pirate gold, you know, skulls around their necks and we just don't know it. It's like it's like the fist, the, the secret fist bump for for that generation of the time. <laughs> I don't know. Women talk, man. <laughs> I'm sure they talk. But, you know, if they're talking amongst themselves, men don't listen so they can talk all they mm. want. The men were in charge of the That's day. True. They're not hearing what the women are saying. And so all is good. They're just, you know, moving along. The governor's like, I wonder where the pirates are. And the women are like, if you had just been listening to us, we could have pointed out the pirates in our town. But see, it, it all gets back to it, you know. There's, and there's we all heard this from a man. They don't listen. <laughs> uh, we know. <laughs> we know it's true. It's a safety mechanism. We do that on purpose yeah. just to preserve our sanity. So now, now we're probably alienating half our audience, but I guess we got some good, you know, you're, you're sticking up for women and I'm sticking up for men. So maybe that makes things okay. Yeah. It evens out at least at some point, but send the hate mail to Heather, address that to Heather (laughs) and then she'll take care of that. So now can I get back to the visitor? Yeah, you can go to the visitor. So we have the young man and I'm not going to recap all that. Oh, wait, wait. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Not going to recap all that. But he's standing there. He's obviously not in the kind of formal attire that we see Governor Swan in or Elizabeth. But although it is clean clothes and and nicely presented, Mm -hmm. and he is, uh, it's definitely more of a working class outfit, if you will. It's not, uh, like I said, the heavy coats and all this kind of stuff. So, uh, But he is... He does seem to have this kind of nervousness or a bit uneasy about things. And so he is a man of the people. And I think he's just a bit uneasy while waiting in the foyer. And that comes out with this kind of nervousness that I think we can all relate to it. When you're waiting for someone or maybe you're in an interview and you start pretending to look around the office or or the meeting room that you're at, like, I'm really interested in these paintings or these decorations or, wow, a corporate book that's sitting on the coffee table here. Maybe I'll thumb through that because I'm really just into this company that I'm at and I'm going to, I'm going to check out what they've, what they've said and, and read their corporate propaganda. So Maybe I shouldn't have used corporate propaganda <laughs> yeah. since we do that too. But the the propaganda, you know, at least the book and they're trying to get it. So it's this idea that, yeah, you're pretending to do that. And then bam, you know, everyone's worst fear in this particular situation in this tense moment already is that you, you just reach in for that touch. Like, I'm going to put the little extra effort in and touch this object. Like, boy, I'm really interested in this stuff. And you touch it. And then it falls over or breaks and makes a noise. And then you got to quickly swivel around. Did anybody see me or did anybody walk in the room and hear that noise? It's just the classic moment. 
that's not just in movies, but happens in real life all the time and probably every day. So just like we saw in the Dauntless, there's different classes coming together. And this plays out with this first comedic moment, I think, in the film, this kind of small laugh in the film, which maybe is setting us up for future laughs. Uh, The man of the people does something we all have experience with. It makes him instantly likable and relatable. So I think it creates this audience connection to this character. And we don't have his name yet. So we don't know who he is, but they're setting this up that this could possibly be a main character that we're going to come to love and come to watch over the next uh, minutes of this film for sure. Yeah, and you feel so bad for him because it was so loud. And it's just, you're like, oh, no. Well, they're in like Everybody a had to have heard that. I mean, this is a foyer that's, you know, it's just brick and, yeah, and heavy plaster and stuff. And... So, of course, it would echo. Yeah. But, yeah, so I think that the writers really did us a favor by setting up this character to say, okay, again, they're playing out the differences between the two characters or between the characters, Swan, Governor Swan and, and this person. Uh, just the same that we saw on The Dauntless, you know, with the difference in the characters between crewmen, the uh, young Will Turner that they rescued, Elizabeth herself and stuff. So we, we see that happening. So there's already within the first seven minutes, we see this constant battle going on that's happening, at least between the classes. They're setting it up. It's not that they're fighting, but there are some differences and we're going to see how that plays off each other. So as I start to probably get going here again on something, then she's going to jump in. But uh, one of the things that were mentioned in this minute, again, it comes back to Governor Swan, Weatherby Swan. I'll call him just Governor Swan because Weatherby just sound a little bit too pretentious for me to, to remember that all the time. But uh, at least it's proper for an English for him as an English person. And I hope nobody out there is taking offense that I just called maybe them or a weather or their relatives who are named Weatherby pretentious. It just happens to be that governor Swan does have that air to him, but the promotion of captain Norrington to Commodore. And I thought that was interesting. And so I just wanted to, to look into what is, what is a Commodore, you know, and I'm historically bad at ranks and military stuff. I'm always amazed when, non-military people or people who haven't been in the military can identify ranks just by patches and insignias and on all that stuff on Mm -hmm. jackets and stuff i i am it's such a novice at that that i don't even attempt it and you could tell me whatever it is and i would probably believe you most of the time so i decided to do a quick bit of research and hit up wikipedia which is as we all know the place where all research begins these days of course So a Commodore is superior to a Navy captain, but below a rear admiral. So we're not specifically looking for mistakes in Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. It's not something that we're really going to do. But if something does pop up, we may mention it from time to time. And usually if it's something that's really over the top. But we're not looking to just point out any continuity flaws or anything like that. So that's not what we're going to do here. But although this particular thing does not necessarily fall into that category i thought it was interesting that commodore has only been really the substantive rank in the royal navy since 1997 and being that this takes place in the 18th century so there is kind of a disparity of years there obviously and so i then proceeded with a little light reading in the journal of maritime research you know something I do usually nightly as part of my nightly routine is to just ponder and and go over what's actually the latest research in this maritime journal. Uh, And that sounds like some light reading. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, if you really want to, you know, to, to just 
dive into something that you can get through within three or four hours, that's perfect for it. <laughs> So, before 1997, Commodore continued to be an appointment that was conferred on senior captains holding certain positions. So, captains might hold the temporary rank of Commodore. In the 18th century, the Commodore evolved into two distinct quasi-ranks, if you will. It was regarded as impossible for a Commodore to command captains that were senior to himself. And as a rule, the Commodore was near the top of the captain's list and on his way to becoming a rear admiral. So Captain Norrington, as we circle all this back to Pirates of the Caribbean here, is being promoted to Commodore, but it really appears that he would have been appointed to Commodore for a specific task. But mm. when that task was completed, he had again become, say, post-captain. So it's just a couple of facts on Commodores and rankings, and because I have such a deficiency in that, I thought it would be interesting to look into that. So there is some discrepancy for it, but Commodore did exist, but like I said, it was more of an appointment, so I think we can give some leeway on this uh, to the writers and to the film, because it slid right over my head, and I just took it as solid gold for them, or a solid Aztec gold, if you will, so... And the other thing that I had that was interesting and maybe a bit disturbing, and I'm not going to try to go into disturbing territory again with Jolly Rogers and pirate facts that are slayings and all these kinds of things that we sometimes devolve into. And and I'm not sure that's what we want to do here, especially for a Disney movie. But yeah, it'll happen again, I'm pretty sure. Is it Norrington fancies Elizabeth? Mm. Is it just me... Or is it a little weird that according to Governor Swan, Norrington fancies Elizabeth, given the way that they knew each other as a man and a little girl on the Dauntless? Yeah. So it's probably not so much of a big deal that, you know, if we weren't introduced to both characters, or maybe I should say it probably wasn't so much of a big deal if we were introduced to both characters as adults, but that they had interacted, it just seems a little strange to me, even though the... You know, really that maybe eight years, ten years is not necessarily a big difference between, say, partners. And I know that that happened a lot, too, in the 1700s, as, you know, or even arranged marriages, although I'm not an expert on that. But it just seems to me, so there's been eight years that spans since the time of the Dauntless to where Elizabeth is now. She was 12 years old on the ship as a little girl, and then she's 20 years old that we find at the this governor's house or his mansion on some island in the Caribbean that we have yet to be revealed. And so I don't know, we don't really know the ages. Uh, James Norrington was born, according to Pirates of the Caribbean, Wiki was born in the 1710s. So that could be 1710 to 1719. And then Elizabeth was born in the 1720s, which could span anywhere from 1720 to 1729. So there are some age ranges in there but we do know that he was a grown man and she was 12 yeah. years old and a little girl on the dauntless it just seems a bit weird and yeah i don't know and it, it's probably nothing but it just seems weird that it's somebody you knew as a little girl that now you're fancy you know you kind of have feelings for her, fancy to her to be your wife i don't know maybe it's yeah. just me it just i don't know no it is it is a little strange you would think that, I don't know how much they seen each other between in those eight years, but you would think that he'd still think of her as a child, you know, in a way, not somebody. Yeah, it's different. That, and that maybe that's a good point, is we don't know if there was any action whatsoever. You know, did he watch her grow up over the years? Right. Or was, because I'm assuming that maybe... 
Norrington's first experience with Elizabeth was when Governor Swan and Elizabeth were traveling on the Dauntless eight years ago. And so maybe they just had met and maybe they haven't had any interaction since then. He's obviously been is being promoted to Commodore. So he's been busy. He's been hunting pirates. He's probably been out to sea for years and all that fun stuff that happens for a naval officer. So maybe there's been nothing. He, you know, he comes back and it's like, boom, all of a sudden she's wow, she's really, you know, a A bit older. He's seen her periodically and and doesn't really think of that. But I don't know. It just seems a little weird to be like, you know, you're seeing somebody grow up and all of a sudden like, oh, wow, she's a a woman now. And, you know, gets those feelings. I don't know. It just just struck me as a little odd. It's that same Star Wars thing with Anakin and... Oh yeah, my God! Exactly. Do we we don't want to dive into Star Wars? <laughs> yeah, we, same type of thing. Although, there. <laughs> wow, I, you, you probably don't even know, but that has actually a good transition for something I was going to mention of the Kira Knightley fact. But, oh wow! Uh, so that is a good transition. But yeah, you're right. I don't know. There was always that little weirdness of this little boy Anakin, and then we had the Queen Amidala, and then they hooked up, and she saw. So we're not going to get into that. Yeah. Go to Star Wars Minute. Listen to <laughs> Pete the Retailer and Alex Robinson, and, and check up on some of their past episodes and of the Phantom Menace. And I'm sure that you know we can they can get into some of that, or they have gotten into I, some of that. Yeah, and they've gotten into. I, it. I can't remember. It's been a you know I was listening to those too, but that's a great show. So check it out, and and you can have some of your Star Wars stuff there, and and figure out the relationship status and and how weird or not weird that is, and and that's probably just up. Probably everybody's personal opinion on that, but that was just something that struck me. So, Kira Knightley fact, yeah, this is the second minute with a grown Elizabeth Swan that we have. And as I'm sure everybody out there is all aware, she was in Star Wars Episode One of The Phantom Menace, as we were just talking about, for other reasons. She played a handmaiden to the... to Queen Amidala during her reign as monarch of Naboo. So I thought that was an interesting tie-in. And, yeah. You know, she's was in that Star Wars franchise, and now she's uh, she's in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. So even though she had that role. And she was a handmaid, so I guess that she was on the other foot. You know, she was the handmaid to the queen, and now she has her own handmaidens. Yeah. Any Very Karen Knightley facts you have? Man, she... You're just going to leave me to hang on that, too. <laughs> so I'll just move along. You made me use my my other Kira Knightley fact the other day. So Kira Knightley, was, as we mentioned, was 17 years old. And she yeah. she's now playing a 20-year-old in this particular movie, The Curse yeah. of the Black Pearl. But I had some interesting facts on the Swan Mansion, too. And as we mentioned in Minute 6, it was regarding the view in the room that the Swan Mansion was actually built on the site of Marineland, a one-time amusement park in Southern California. And however, the interior was set at a at Raleigh Studios in Manhattan Beach and a little further north up the coast. The set included a dining room, bedrooms, hallways, linen closet, and first and second floor foyer and the staircase uh, that was created on this Raleigh Studios set. And spoilers, the crew promptly destroyed this whole set with cannon blast, according to Pirates of the Caribbean wiki. So that's a spoiler to come. So I guess maybe I shouldn't have given that away. But <laughs> So look at it while you can, because it may not last, if you will. Admire it. <laughs> exactly. And then there's the wig. Obviously, being a governor of a far-off Caribbean island has really taken its toll on... Governor Swan and his wig collection. I mean, we saw just a few minutes ago. Okay, maybe a few minutes ago spans eight years. 
But, or maybe it was this encounter with the burning merchant ship. But whatever it was, something scared him gray. At least his <laughs> wig's gray. He just decided in eight years, you know what? I'm going to go from brown wig to gray wig. Maybe it's being distinguished. Or again, Heather was saying stuff in previous minutes that has stuff to do with your rank in society. Yeah. And so maybe that he finally got his this governorship well, he, here. Was he on, when they were on the ship, I think he was captain. That was something. No, oh, uh, was it? Uh, I think they called him captain. Oh, I'll have to look then. And then now he is governor. Oh, so maybe that so is. So maybe. Maybe I'm off base on that. And then he had this, his wig had to change color, you know, by, by royal decree with his new title. You get your, you get your new listing and your new title. And then they also give you a bag with a new colored wig in it. So so maybe that's what happened. But something has made him change color wigs. And you can kind of see that through through some of the other people too, that there's a, a wig change color. And I think even actually Norrington had a change in wig colors probably too. Yes, I'd have to it, look at that again because I oh, think he we did. we haven't seen Norrington yet. He had oh, a black one on the, on, the, on the ship. Yeah. So we maybe I'll cut that yet, out. So, so maybe yeah. I'll have to edit that out. <laughs> we'll see if I edit that out. But... Man, I just got caught. Yeah. I just got caught, severely <laughs> caught. You know, and I was just making fun of her. I guess this is the, the time to make fun of Scott I think it's on still that. a couple minutes before we see Norrington. We'll see if I edit that out. But, okay. So, I'm not really sure. I haven't seen Norrington. I can only imagine that as a distinguished man who fancies a young woman that you'd want to present yourself with a different color wig. So, we'll just leave it at that. Well, I would think Commodore would probably be a different wig. That's actually where I was going because, yeah. you know, as I mentioned, I'm really into learning about ranks now and an mm-hmm. expert on ranks because I can not spot any of them <laughs> that I just knew that if you're going to be a Commodore, you really should be sporting a yeah. different color wig. So, that's that, really that's, where that went. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I did get blasted on that one. <laughs> With our first week just about in the bag after today's episode, we are living up to our word to bring you a recurring segment that will be included on each Friday's show. The idea is that we will each pick our favorite line from the last week. In in this particular case, it will be from the last seven episodes. And if anyone out there is game, feel free to tweet, Facebook, or email us your favorite quote from the last seven minutes, and we'll include it in the next week's segment and read that. So it'll have some nice listener feedback if, if anybody wants to play along. So, here's the debut of what we'd like to call our Really Bad Eggs segment. And really bad eggs. Thanks, Captain Sparrow, for that introduction. You want to go first? Sure, I'll go first. So, in these first few minutes, I really have grown to like um, Gibbs. And so, my favorite line was used by Gibbs. And it's when he says, everyone's thinking it, I'm just saying it, pirates. This just... You can tell that Gibbs is not a normal military man here. He's just out of the norm, you know, and he's just going to say whatever's on his mind. I think that's a good quote that really sums him up then. It literally is. It's like when somebody says they're going to speak their mind. It it is literally him saying, (laughs) I speak my mind. (laughs) Yeah. And that's pretty much what we've seen from Gibbs so far. Sometimes it's been under his breath, but he doesn't hold back. And so... Yeah, there is something that he isn't quite in that regimented military mindset where he just blindly follows orders or, yeah. or shuts up until somebody says something. He just throws it out there and and sees where it lands. Yep. And he doesn't really care. He's just going to say it. Yep. So mine has got to be Norrington's description of how we deal with pirates. 
And again, I got to come back to, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm coming back to something kind of gratuitous and, and violent, but a short drop and a sudden stop. It is a little artistic, though, so I will say that it, we're not getting yeah. too gratuitous, but the idea behind it is. So it's this perfectly succinct and apt description for this rather grim process of hanging somebody. It's also a great fit, I think, for Norrington's pompous personality. He's informed us of his vow to rid the world of pirates, and for him, it's just a matter of fact. Yeah. And I think it's this blunt yet artistic phrase, as I said. So I think it really fits well with him. And I like it. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm going to use it as a ringtone or <laughs> I'll have to to put it somewhere. You know, it, I think it just works well. I don't know what, what I'll do with that. But maybe I need it on a shirt. So maybe we maybe we could sell Pirates of the Caribbean Minute swag in our merch. Uh, and we'll have a short drop and a sudden stop. Here we go. That's a great idea. Yeah. So so look for that. We'll, Do you have we'll, a little stick man hanging? Yeah. So maybe we will. So to, we'll see what happens. But we may have our Pirates of the Caribbean Minute swag coming in our merch. Uh, so look for that. We'll, we'll let you know if that happens. But a short drop and a sudden stop is, is my line of the week or within the first seven minutes. And so we'll come back next week, uh, next Friday's episode with each of us picking out our new lines and hopefully some of you will contribute and we'll be happy to share your name and your thoughts and the line that you picked out. It'd be pretty cool to hear what everybody else thinks. It would. Yeah. Anything else for you this week? No, I think that's it for me this week. Okay. You didn't want to jump back to the beginning and and come up with something else. Well, I think we've had a pretty great week actually. All right. You know, we, we've learned a lot about pirates of the Caribbean, you know, and all the research and about the whole pirate pirate stuff going on so i think we've had a great week i do too so i want to thank everybody for sticking with us and joining us as we complete our first full week we really appreciate the support and everybody listening and and kind of fitting in with us as we're getting the the hang of all of this and sliding into pirates of the caribbean and on that note we'll be back next week with minute eight of the curse of the black pearl on the pirates of the caribbean minute until then let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum Now let's go have some grog. I'm up for grog today for sure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Pirates of the Caribbean Minute. You can contact us at podcast at blackpearlminute.com. We just might feature your questions and comments on future episodes. And visit us online at blackpearlminute.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter for additional content and post-episode discussions.